So 1031 exchange, it's specific to investment property. It cannot be used on your primary residence. It's when you are selling investment property and you want to purchase other investment property. And instead of you paying taxes on the property you sell, you're going to be able to take all of your proceeds from that sale and roll them into the purchase of another real estate investment so that you can maximize your new investment as far as capital contribution is concerned. Welcome to the Apartment Investing Journey, where we explore every facet of multifamily investing and development with top investors, brokers, and service providers who share their strategies, successes, and secrets to help you on your apartment investing journey. Hey guys, David Robinson here. Welcome to the Apartment Investing Journey. Today, I'm joined by a friend of mine, Trent Hendry with Mountain View Title and Escrow. Trent and I have worked together for many, many years in the real estate business, and I'm excited to have him come on and talk to us a little bit about 1031 exchanges. So Trent, let me read a real brief bio and then you can sort of fill in the cracks here. Sure. Trent started working with Mountain View Title and Escrow in 1997 while attending Weber State University. He obtained a Bachelor of Arts degree in accounting. And over the years, Trent had many different roles within Mountain View Title, mostly as an escrow officer, but also teaching other escrow officers, doing both residential and commercial closings in Utah, Salt Lake, Davis, and Weber counties, and also worked with training staff and currently works in the Draper office as an escrow officer and manager of that branch. I think he's into triathlons still. Uh, Maybe tapered off a little bit. Yeah. All right. I know you're hitting them pretty hard there for a little while. Well, uh, great guy and wealth of knowledge. So, Trent, maybe just back up, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the business, and sort of what your world's looked like over the last few years. That's a pretty good summary. I got into the business. It's a family owned business, Mountain View Title. My dad has owned that company for this is our 40th anniversary, actually, of him owning Mountain View Title. So, Got into business with that. Been doing it ever since. I mean, I really started in 97 officially, but I was doing it since I've, I've been cleaning toilets since I was 16. <laughs> yeah, so I bet. You got to clean for my dad before you can do the actual work. <laughs> but I've been kind of around the state for our offices. Uh, I've also worked down in St. George and Cedar City, helping run those offices and opening the Cedar City office which are great offices for us. And my accounting background with my accounting degree helped me kind of get a foot in the door a little bit to understand a little bit more what we're going to talk about today with our tax deferred exchanges and whatnot. So cool. Well, I wanted you to come on so that we could have a conversation about the 1031 exchanges. Obviously, you're with Mountain View Title and Escrow. So here in Utah, those mm -hmm. two companies or two types of businesses sort of interchange. Not sure how it works in other states across the country, but here in Utah, that's pretty commonplace to have a title company that also has a sister company that handles 1031 exchanges. Can you maybe just sort of explain yeah, that to us and how the Absolutely. The main role of a title and escrow company here in Utah is to hold money for real estate transactions and to protect buyers and sellers' money for the transaction. The 1031 exchange accommodator holds money in behalf of an exchange or the person buying and selling real estate. So the purpose is very similar. So we're really good at holding people's money 
and using it according to instructions that they give us. So they do kind of run hand in hand. So yes, we've got Mountain View Title and then we have our exchange accommodator or qualified intermediary. You can use those terms interchangeably as known as 5T Corporation to do the 1031 exchanges. The exchange accommodator is actually, we can do exchanges nationwide. So we are limited statewide with the title and escrow, but we do exchanges nationwide because section 1031 of a 1031 exchange is the IRS code. So it's a federal thing. We can do them nationwide. Gotcha. Okay. Let's just start at the very top and just describe briefly very basics of what a 1031 exchange is. Most people have heard about this. Anybody that's been around real estate or has invested in real estate has heard that term, but briefly just sort of describe for us what that is. Yeah. So 1031 exchange is, you'll hear a couple different terms, a tax deferred exchange or a like kind exchange. And there are other like kind exchanges, but we focus solely on real estate 1031 exchanges. So it is when an investor or someone that owns investment property. It's specific to investment property. It cannot be used on your primary residence. It's when you are selling investment property and you want to purchase other investment property. And instead of you paying taxes on the property you sell, you're going to be able to take all of your proceeds from that sale and roll them into the purchase of another real estate investment so that you can maximize your new investment as far as capital contribution is concerned. The section 1031 allows you to defer the tax gain that you would have had on your sale to a later date when you, after you purchase this new property and down the road when you sell it, that's when it would defer to that sale. But then you could do another exchange and roll those sale proceeds into another investment property and again, defer the taxes to a later date. So you can continue to do exchanges and defer that tax to a further date down the road. And my understanding is that there's no limitation on the number of exchanges that can take place, 1031 exchanges, deferred exchanges. So, I mean, it can go on for generation to generation. Is that correct? It's for the taxpayer itself. I've, I've yet to deal with a situation where someone has done multiple exchanges and they pass away and their heirs want to do an exchange. That's probably a question for a CPA, but it is taxpayer specific. So mm. I would think it probably, I mean, if I had to guess, it'd probably end when the taxpayer passes away. Gotcha. And just to clarify here, what was the name of the company that is the QI? 5T Corporation. 5T Corporation. So 5T Corporation is the QI, but Trent is obviously not a CPA. And so anytime you have a discussion around 1031 exchange, and you're going to have this discussion about some of the formalities about going through the exchange, which is what you would help with and you would help facilitate the exchange, but not necessarily are you going to advise or discuss anything as it relates to the tax advantages or disadvantages of doing the exchange. Yeah, exactly. We're always going to recommend that you consult with the CPA on determining whether doing deferred exchange is even in your best interests as an investor. There certainly are situations where doing a tax deferred exchange may not be the best thing for you. For example, you're not making any money on that sale. Maybe you're going to create a loss with that sale and you don't know it. But if you don't consult with your CPA first, you'd kind of be wasting your time and money 
if that were in fact the case. So it's not always going to be the best thing for you. But overall, in the marketplace that we've been in with values continuing to go up, it's highly likely that it's going to be beneficial for someone to do an exchange. And yes, we are just the accommodator. We make the exchange happen. We make sure that all of the requirements in Section 1031 of the IRS code are abided by so that if and when a taxpayer gets audited, the IRS is going to be perfectly fine with that exchange and they're not going to consider it a taxable event. Okay, great. So let's talk about some of those things as it relates to facilitating the exchange and making sure that all the boxes are checked as it relates to the 1031 code. So you mentioned that it can often be referred to as a like-kind exchange. Maybe walk us through exactly what that means and why we use that term. So like-kind exchange is you're selling one type of investment and replacing it with the same type of investment, a like-kind investment. So we focus on real estate. Uh, So you're selling real estate and purchasing other real estate. There are like-kind exchanges where you can sell personal property or maybe like farming equipment, you could sell a harvester and get a new harvester kind of thing. We don't do those kind of exchanges. We focus again, primarily on the real estate. And it's real estate for real estate. It can be commercial real estate for residential. It can be residential for commercial. The specific type of real estate is not important. It just needs to be real estate for real estate. And just to clarify that point, you did mention earlier that it does need to be investment property. It cannot be primary residence, correct? correct? That's correct. Yep. Okay. So walk us through the process. If someone was to engage with you through a 1031, let's say they've already talked with the CPA, they've been advised by their attorney and CPA, and and they know this is the right move. What is just the process and the role that you would play in the 1031 exchange process? Is the exchange accommodator specifically the role we would play is we work in conjunction with the title and escrow company on that sale. So there are instances where we're doing that title and escrow work and we're basically just working internally with ourselves on the paperwork. And then there are instances where we're working with title and escrow companies in other states because, again, we do those nationwide. But our role is to review the paperwork from the sale, make sure that it's structured properly so that it does not conflict with section 1031. There has to be specific wording on the paperwork. And then there are certain documents that go along with the sale. In addition to the regular sale paperwork that we prepare, like an exchange agreement that goes over all the details of what we are doing as the the qualified intermediary, how we hold the money, the timeframes that need to be reminded of taking care of with the exchange. So there are certain deadlines involved. We make those are in there. And then we've got certain exhibits to that exchange agreement that will specify the properties that are being purchased in the exchange. And then we are assigning in the, the qualified intermediary as the actual seller and buyer, depending on the transaction so that it goes along with the requirements in section 1031. So it's similar to real estate contracts and escrow instructions, but it's paperwork to make sure that we are the exchange accommodator, the qualified intermediary actually shows as the seller and the buyer on these transactions. And then when the property is sold, for example, the money from the sale is held by 
5T Corporation as the qualified intermediary in behalf of the exchangeor so that the exchanger never actually touches the money. And then we take the money from that sale that we've been holding. We transfer it to the title company, the escrow company, closing on the purchase of new investment property, and we give it directly to them. And then again, the, the exchanger never touches the money. That's kind of the basis as to why it's a tax deferred exchange. If they never touch the money, they cannot be taxed hmm. on the money. Simply put, that's the whole purpose of a 1031 exchange is to avoid the taxpayer from ever touching it, thus deferring the tax until they actually take the money from a sale and keep it. And then they pay taxes. Gotcha. That's an interesting insight. I didn't uh, really put that together. Okay, thanks. So talk to us a little bit about the timelines associated with a 1031 exchange. What should someone expect? Uh, Let's say, let's just use a hypothetical example. Let's say that we have an investor who has a condo that's totally paid off. They have a bunch of equity in it. They're coming to a place in the market where they want to, and I'm seeing this more and more often, where you have a single family rental property owners who have built up a lot of equity since the market has recovered. And now they're in a scenario where they want to recapitalize that equity and get a better return on that equity. And so they're looking to move up into larger multifamily. It's something that's maybe a little bit more recession resilient than a single family rental property. So let's use that example. Let's say that we have someone who's got a $200,000 condo paid off and they're looking to move up into a larger multifamily. What does that process look like and the timelines involved as it relates to the 1031? So when they go under contract to sell that condo, there typically are some addendums or disclosures that go along with the purchase contract that will disclose to the buyer that the seller is participating in a 1031 exchange. So that's kind of the first step. They make the decision, you know, consult with your CPA, make sure it's the right decision, get the proper addendums added to your contract, inform your agent, your agent will typically know what to do. And then you inform the title company, you know, they'll get a copy of the addendum. So they'll know that, okay, we've got a 1031 involved here. So we need to make sure we're talking with an exchange accommodator. And then the exchange accommodator will get involved and make sure, start preparing all the paperwork for the exchange. And then you basically wait till closing. You sign all the paperwork closing typically. IRS hasn't fully gotten on board with electronic signatures. So a lot of it is still wet signatures for that as just a precaution kind of thing. Okay. So talk to us about, I know that there's some rules around timeframes in which a buyer needs to identify the replacement property or the exchange property. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So timeframes, you have six months to complete an exchange in its entirety. So from the day you say you sell the property that you're getting rid of, that's when it records. So when it officially leaves your name into a buyer's name, start from that date, you have six months to complete your exchange or 180 days to be more specific. From that date of sale, you have 45 days to declare which property or properties, you can buy multiple, that you are going to purchase within the exchange. That's probably the trickiest part for most people dealing with an exchange is that 45-day deadline. It can be difficult 
to find good replacement properties within that time frame. So usually exchangers are kind of out looking for property that they want to buy at the same time that they're selling their other property so that they don't get pinched by that 45 day deadline. I mean, it's a hard deadline. If you don't declare the property that you're going to purchase within that 45 days, the exchange would have to be canceled. The exchange accommodator would give all the proceeds that they're holding back to the seller or the exchanger, and then they would have to pay their capital gains taxes. The IRS, if they audit those things, and you declared even on day 46 what you're going to purchase, they would basically deem that as a, a faulty exchange, if you will, and then you'd have to pay taxes on it. And how do you go through the process of actually identifying the so replacement we, we as, Yeah, great question. We as the exchange accommodator, we provide you with the form that you just fill out. It's really simple, really easy. Just write the address, tax ID number, something to identify the property, where it's located, so that we can just have a record that this is the property that you're looking to purchase. And it's, it's very simple. So it's just a matter of filling out a form and signing it. Okay. So from the time that you close on your exchange property, you have 45 days to identify replacement property. And then you have 180 days in order to close on the replacement property, correct? Yeah. And both of those dates start from the date that you sold the property. Okay. Like it doesn't pick up when you declare. It's not 180 days from the day you declare your replacement property. All the dates start from the sale of the property. Okay. Is there anything that a potential investor who's considering doing a 1031 exchange should consider when identifying a QI or a qualified intermediary? Is there anything they should be looking at or looking for or concerned Mm, with? Not really. I mean, any investment property, I mean, whatever goes along with choosing a good investment property, that's probably a better question for someone like you as someone that has a real estate background as an agent to advise them on what your thoughts are as far as that being a good investment. I'm asking, is there anything that someone should be concerned about in working with a QI? Is there certain Uh, things that someone should be looking for in a qualified intermediary that that is important? Understood. Well, I mean, someone that knows what they're doing. You definitely experience is what it comes down to with a QI. I mean, I've been doing them for roughly 15 years. My dad has been doing them for ever since Section 1031 came out. I believe he created 5T Corporation at that time. It's been within the time frame that he opened Mountain View Title and was doing title and escrow work. So experience is the biggest thing. I mean, you're giving what could be hundreds of thousands of dollars to someone to hold in your behalf. You want to make sure that that's someone that's not just some guy that's going to take your money and run. Um, Are you familiar with any of the requirements to become a QI? It's pretty minute. Like there's not a whole ton of requirements. So it's not really specific licensing with the state. Just, I mean, we do it because people are comfortable with us holding money as title and escrow experience. So it just kind of goes hand in hand that they're like, okay, if they work for and run an escrow company, they know what they're doing as far as handling people's money. And the entities are completely separate. When we set up accounts for these exchanges, they are all in the name of 5T Corporation. It has its separate principles that run that company from the title and escrow company. Gotcha. Like you mentioned, reputation's key and more than likely 
the qualified intermediary that you're going to work with or the 1031 exchange company that you're going to work with is likely affiliated with an escrow or title company. So you probably, at least in our experience, that's been the case. Yeah. And I mean, there's a number of really good exchange companies, I'm sure that are just, that's what they do. That's their sole focus is 1031 exchanges. They're usually a little bit more costly. The reason why we can keep costs down is because we're doing kind of the same work between the title and escrow company and the exchange company. So we don't have to charge double. Yeah. I was actually going to ask about that. Can you give us maybe just a a broad overview of the kind of fees involved in working with a 1031 exchange company? Yeah. So you're always going to pay an accommodation fee. It's basically your fee to do the exchange. And every exchange accommodator is going to be a little bit different on how they structure it. We just charge a flat fee that pays to do your sale and all the paperwork and your purchase for one purchase. Now, again, you can purchase multiple properties on an exchange. You can take, let's say you made random number, $200,000 on your sale and you wanted to buy one, two or three properties with that $200,000. There are some ratios and whatnot that come into play that need to be taken into consideration. But if you were to just buy one property, that's all included in the one fee. And then if you buy two, three or more properties, there's just an additional fee per file that we take care of for additional purchases so that we're covering wire costs and paper set up and whatnot. It's pretty minimal. Off the top of your head, just an estimate of what the fees are. Yeah. So we just charge a flat $750 for an accommodation. And then each additional property above the one is an additional $100. Okay. So pretty minimal fee for that part of the process. Yeah, it covers all the paperwork, all the wire transfer fees, everything. Great. Awesome. Well, this has been great. I really just wanted to get a broad overview of the process, uh, sort of set the stage in a future episode coming up. We are going to have a CPA that specializes in advising people on 1031 exchange come on. So I wanted to set the stage from the qualified intermediary perspective. And uh, we'll have someone come on and talk sort of about the, the tax implications and some details around that too. So uh, anything else we should discuss? Anything that I haven't asked you that I should have? No, not really. I mean, the only thing I'd probably add to that is there are circumstances where you can do the exchange backwards as well, where you're actually buying the property that you want to invest in before you sell the property that you're selling. So you come across a great investment that you're like, I can't pass this one up but I haven't sold some property yet. And I was thinking of selling this property. We can accommodate what we call a reverse exchange where you buy the property first and then you sell the property second. So there's a number of things that we can do to try and help accommodate or facilitate an an exchange. So, you know, those are all very specific to each transaction. Every transaction is going to have its difference ins and outs and definitely something we'd have to approve to do them, but we can, that is we possible. can accommodate a lot of those. Yeah. Okay. That's great to know. The last question I have, which I should have asked earlier is in the event that you miss the deadline for an exchange, I would assume then that those fees that are paid to the qualified intermediary as minimal as they may be, you know, 750 bucks or a thousand bucks are those, I guess, taken by the exchange company. If you miss those deadlines. Yeah. The work for an exchange is heavy loaded at the front end. Sure. So if they go through all that work to set up all the paperwork and the accounts and everything, 
then that's the fee that they're collecting to do those. And so if you don't come through on your dates, they still had to do all that work so that the exchange accommodation fee does not get refunded, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and you have bigger problems on your hand if you miss the <laughs> deadlines with the capital. Yeah. Game, so. yeah, yeah, for sure. It's happened a few times. You know, it occasionally happens where people just, it just, they can't make it work and we hate to do it, but, but again, it's, it's those, we were paying costs to, to set sure. up those accounts and everything. So, yeah. So yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Well, Trent, thank you for coming on. Thanks for spending some time with us talking about this. How can people get a hold of you if they have any title or escrow needs or have any additional questions about 1031 exchanges? So the easiest way to get a hold of me is call my office at 801-619-1600. You can also visit our website for more information about our company. It's www.mvte.com. We don't have broadcast information about 5T Corporation because we mostly handle those with transactions we are handling with the title and escrow company. But through friends and clients, I do get a number of referrals where I've handled 1031 exchanges where I'm not doing any of the title and escrow work. So the, the deals in like Hawaii and then Florida. So you can facilitate it if they aren't using Mountain View title and escrow for their uh, title and escrow needs. I have a real good friend that he sends me all of his exchanges. A lot of time we don't get the title work because his upper management are choosing that kind of thing, but they don't have a contact of a 1031. So we end up doing the 1031 side of it, which we're happy to do. They're great work and we love helping people out. And the office number is the best way to get a hold of me. And then a uh, website will give you some more contact information. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Trent. Appreciate hey guys, you coming thanks on. Thanks for listening in today. Yeah, thanks, David. Hope you enjoyed the episode. One. Please hit that subscribe button or leave us a quick review. Also, don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or at apartmentinvestingjourney.com. See you next week.